0: This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting
1: from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm your host, Gordon Teeson. On today's program, we'll be listening to a recent message by Pastor Jack Hughes. Jack is a pastor who most recently pastored a church in Burbank, California. He was in Nebraska for our No Compromise Conference. Many of our students at Nebraska Christian had a chance to be there for that weekend and hear these messages from Pastor Hughes, along with many other students from around Nebraska, from youth groups, Fellowship of Christian Athlete groups, and other groups as well. Let's join Pastor Jack with today's message.
0: If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel 3 is where we're going to be looking this session and just uh, seeing a little bit about the courage that it takes to live a no-compromise life. You know what courage is? Courage is the ability to face that which you are scared about. That which is going to cause you pain, possibly, or harm. That which is going to cost you loss, and yet you face it anyways. You, you stand up to it. You go ahead into something that frightens you. That's what courage is. And that's what we're going to talk about for this session. The courage of a no-compromise faith. We started looking at Daniel. Daniel is an interesting character and his three friends who were captured as prisoners of war, then trained in all the learning of the Babylonians so they could serve as kind of little trophies in the king's court. In order to make their transformation to Babylon complete, Daniel and his three friends had their names changed. So when we come here, they're not going to be called Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're going to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Babylonian names. And when you're thinking about the courage that we're going to look at in Daniel 3, it's pretty amazing. It's one instance, it's not 47 days plus three years, but it's pretty intense. And you know, I know some of you have had to have courage. You know, it's like in that football game when you're lined up across from the guy that's pure muscle and outweighs you by 40 pounds, and your coach says, "Now don't let him get by you. Or when your coach says, you need to guard that guy, and you say, coach, I'm only 5'8", and he's 7 foot. Believe me, a lot of times when you're called to do things in sports, you know how it is, you're your body sometimes doesn't want to do things. You know, when you're lagging behind and you're on the last stretch and, you know, you just want to take a nap on the track. And the people you're trying to beat, you know, are striding out in front of you and your parents and your mom is in the stands going psychotic. "Ah, You know, I mean, what do you do? You face it. You get some courage up and you plow on. And, you know, when you are a Christian, you need courage. Because there's so many things in the world against you. Satan is against you. His demons are against you. Unbelievers are often against you. And sometimes well-intentioned and even misguided Christians are against you. You need courage because of all these things are opposing you. And the Christian life is a battle. It's not for wimps. And this is what we are going to learn about in this session. You look at Daniel 3 where really one of the greatest examples of courage found anywhere in the Bible is stated. When we come to Daniel 3, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are still in places of power and influence. We don't know where Daniel is. He doesn't appear in chapter 3. And most people think he was probably out of the country doing some business for the king. In Daniel 2, the king has this dream that scares the king. And he wants to know its interpretation, but in order to know that the person is telling him the truth, he not only wants to know the interpretation, he wants to know the dream and its interpretation. Daniel shows up and is able to say, this is the dream and its interpretation, and because of that, Daniel and his three friends are elevated even more. This, of course, puts the locals, the older wise men, on the resentment track, the jealousy track. Because now, there's a bunch of Jewish punks as their boss, telling them what to do, and they don't like it. In the dream that Daniel interprets, one of the things that happens is, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this statue. It's got a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet with iron clay, and... When he hears the interpretation, the interpretation says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Well, the, Nebuchadnezzar is already the egomaniac. And so he goes about to create a self-fulfilling prophecy. He creates a statue that he sets up on a plane outside the city. That's gigantic. And this is what brings about our story today. Where I want to show you five things about the no compromise life that you need to learn. So you can have courage to live for the glory of God. First is the temptation to compromise. Look at Daniel chapter 3 verse 1 and notice what the text says. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. A cubit is 18 inches, which means the statue was 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. A giant, gold-plated, sparkling image of the king. Archaeologists doing excavations in Dura have found a brick platform that was 45 feet square, and they actually think it's the platform that that image used to stand on. What is interesting is... At that time, it was common for kings to make images of themselves and put inscriptions on them which talked about all their great deeds so that people would look at the king, worship the king's image, read the inscriptions, and be impressed. It was kind of self-propaganda. This is what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, but to the ultimate degree. Nebuchadnezzar, swelled with pride, actually sees himself as a god to be worshiped. But surely there were some people in the crowd who worshipped Moloch or worshipped Baal and thought, I'm not worshipping Nebuchadnezzar. He's just a man. They might have thought to themselves, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is a great king, but I'm not going to bow down to his statue. Nebuchadnezzar anticipated this. So he provided some worship incentive. Look at verse 6. But whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Oh, what he did is probably assemble at that time they had giant brick kilns because uh, when you go to Babylon today, Nebuchadnezzar built Babylon and he has his name stamped on every single brick and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of them. This is like a giant stone igloo that they load up with wood in the front put bricks around the outside, it has a stack at the top and you fire it and it heats up so much it fires the brick and then they use them for building. It's possible that the brick kiln was there and then the platform for the image was built knowing the brick kiln was there to provide incentive for people to worship. Did it work? Look at verse 7. Therefore at that time when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Their knees buckled, their waists bent, their faces hit the dirt, every single ruler of the entire province of Babylon did a face plant on the ground before the golden image he had set up except for three. Three. And you can just see Nebuchadnezzar in his royal garb looking out over all these thousands of people worshiping him. I mean, he's just, he is an egomaniac to the ultimate degree. Now, you may not be threatened with a fiery furnace or maybe You might not even be threatened with physical pain. For you, it might be the opportunity to enjoy some sinful pleasure, some dainty morsel of wrongdoing that will be the test of your resolve and commitment to the Lord, and you're going to need courage to say no to that. For most Christians, tests like this come on a daily basis, sometimes an hourly basis, sometimes minute by minute and moment by moment. And the question is, will you look and lust or not? Will you lie or tell the truth? Will you cheat and steal or not? Will you gossip or not? Temptations to compromise are legion. As soon as you resolve to follow the Lord, opposition will come, and it takes courage to resist that. You will be constantly tempted to compromise your faith, and therefore, you will constantly need courage to face those things you're frightened of. Either happening to you or frightened of losing so that you can honor God. Secondly, the forces which tempt us to compromise our faith. Look at verse 8 in your Bible of chapter 3. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans, Babylonians, came forward and brought charges against the Jews. Stop there. Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were foreigners. They were prisoners of war. They were young. Nebuchadnezzar has elevated them to top officials in the country over many other men who are Babylonians and a lot older and have a lot more life experience. They don't like that. They see this as a perfect opportunity to deal with the competition. This is what is going on in our text. Look at verse 9. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king. These are the officials who are jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. O king, live forever. That's what you do. You butter up the king like a piece of bread before you eat him. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Now... There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Notice how they laud the king. They then remind the king of his decree They subtly blamed the king for placing Jewish youths over them, implying it was a huge mistake. And what they were really saying is, I'm jealous, I want my job back. Then they sum up the offenses. One, they have disregarded you, they do not serve your gods, and they refuse to worship your wonderful golden image. Now you know they didn't like worshiping it. They just wanted their power back, their position back their control, their pay, their perks. And this is a perfect opportunity for the jealous Babylonian officials to get rid of the competition, but also a perfect opportunity for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to show courage in the face of something very frightening, like the king and the fiery furnace. Look at verse 13. The Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Then these three men were brought before the king. It's one thing when you defy the king in private. It's another thing when you defy the king before all the rulers in the entire kingdom. Look at verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I have set up? He knew very well they didn't. Nebuchadnezzar asks a question in verse 14. He doesn't even give them a chance to answer. He just moves on to the command stage. The three Jewish youths are up on the stage now with the king, drilling them. And all the rulers are watching them. You're talking peer pressure to the ultimate degree. And Nebuchadnezzar is angry and puffed up with pride and he rashly declares the end of verse 15 and what god is there who can deliver you out of my hands do you see what he's claiming here he's not just seeing himself as god now he sees himself as god almighty the greatest of all gods the most high god And though the true God could have squashed him like a bug, God had mercy on him because he was going to use King Nebuchadnezzar, as you go on to the book, to give him glory. Unlike Nebuchadnezzar, God is gracious and compassionate. He is loving and kind. Yes, he will judge those who refuse to repent of their sins and bow the knee before his sovereign lordship and receive Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected for sinners. But before judgment falls, God offers a way of escape, and not only a way of escape, but forgiveness of sins and eternal life to those who take it. Listen, there will always be forces that tempt you to compromise your faith. They will come upon you just like they came upon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe not to this degree, but they're coming. They always will come, and they'll never stop until you die. Think of the incredible peer pressure they faced, all those people looking at them, the king commanding them to commit idolatry when they knew they could not do it in honor God. The lesson to learn here is that forces will come against you. You need courage to face them. Third, let's look at the courage of no compromise. Verse 16, I love this. This is like one of my favorite sections in all the Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O king, we do not even need to give you an answer concerning this matter. I love that. (laughs) It's like, this is such a no-brainer for us, king. They had resolved in their hearts to do what was right, and it was just clear. We're not committing idolatry. We're not going there. They knew who the real king of kings was, who the real lord of lords was, Who the real Most High God was. And it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. Yet in order to be respectful to the king and give testimony to their faith in the true God, they did give him an answer. Look at verse 17. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. This statement reveals that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were fully convinced their God was a real God, an active God, and a God who could perform a miracle to spare their lives from the furnace of blazing fire, even if they were cast in. It also reveals that they weren't presumptuous because they didn't know God would do it, they just said God could do it, and they were fine with that. The middle of verse 17 continues and reveals their unflinching courage and faith. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That, people, is courage Notice that though their faith in God is strong, they're not presuming that God's going to deliver them. They just merely believe that they're going to be delivered either by life or death, that God could rescue them from the furnace, but they don't know if he is. It hasn't happened yet. They just know God is the living God. He created the heavens and earth. He can do anything he wants, and that's the one we serve, and sorry, you're not that God. This tells us their faith in God was not mercenary. They didn't merely want to worship God in order to save their skin. They were going to worship God because they loved the Lord and because they were willing to die for the Lord even if he didn't rescue them from the furnace. And if you were going to live a no compromise life, you better learn how to say no. You have to learn how to say no to a lot of things. Fourth. The deliverance of those who live a no-compromise life. Look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. He was like overflowing with wrath. And his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I like how the old King James says it. His visage was altered. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times hotter than it was usually heated. Then these three men were tied up with their trousers and coats, their caps and other clothes and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was so urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. And you might think, oh, too bad. Game over, they're dead. But at least they're in heaven. All the nobles look with fear at Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar stands back like, see, I told you. No one's going to defy me. I am the Most High God. I have news for you. This life is not all there is. The world's gonna tell you, oh, you know, drink all the beer you can because you only go around once in life. No. Your life, the scripture says, is like a vapor on a cup of coffee. You know, when you pour it in there and you see a little steam and it's gone, that's your life. It's like a blip on the radar. And I have news for you. You're going to die. Let that soak in. You're going to die. The last time I checked, the death rate was still holding at 100%. And then what? Eternity. Eternity in heaven, eternity in hell. You're going to die. And the world tells you to eat right and to exercise right and to not eat too much saturated fats and drink eight glasses of water a day and you know take your vitamins, which I did this morning. But you know what? If you do all those things, you're going to die healthy. And if you don't, you're going to die. You're going to die. No amount of exercise, no amount of vitamins, no amount of whatever thing is going to make you live forever. You know, you might live a little longer. The fact of the matter is this world is passing away, and you are passing away with it. You're moving towards eternity. And you know what? The other thing is you don't know when you're going to die. When are you going to die? It may be today, next year. 10 years, 50 years, you don't know. I've done funerals for babies six weeks old, teenagers, those in their 20s, all on the way. You don't know. Nobody sends you a telegram and says, Tuesday, 2.34 p.m., you will be dead. Get ready. There are people who even know they're on death row and they're going to be executed and their are executionist day. They don't even know. You don't know when you're going to die, but you know you are going to die and then eternity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived with eternity in view. They knew that even if they had to die for their faith, they were going to die anyway, so what did it matter? Because when they died, they would be with God and live with God forever in heaven. So they courageously stood their ground. They defied the king in front of all the rulers of the Babylonian empire and said, we're not going to commit idolatry no matter what. And so they were cast into the furnace. And people watching, all those rulers out there who are watching probably thought, whoa, they're gone. But not quite. Look at verse 24. The Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded, and he stood up in haste, and he said to his officials, was it not three men we cast into the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look. I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. The appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace, the blazing fire, and he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Oh, you've changed your tune. There's now a bigger God than you. Interesting. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of fire. The satraps, prefects, governors, and king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. They come cruising out. In this instance, God desired to rescue these three men in life. He did it in front of the proud king and the rulers of Babylon to get glory for himself. And did you notice how Nebuchadnezzar referred to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God? This miraculous deliverance has humbled the king. It forced him to acknowledge there is a Most High God and it wasn't him. Now you say, well, who who was that person in there, that other person? Well couple options. One, Jesus, before he was born of a virgin. Some commentators believe it was Christ before he became incarnated or became a man. Others believe it was an angel. The text doesn't say for certain. Either way, God delivered these three courageous Jews so that the effects and smell of the fire wasn't even upon them. No one can snatch you out of the hand of God. No one can kill you before God gives permission. And he always delivers those who are his in either life or death. Five, the blessings of no compromise life. Nebuchadnezzar, having been humbled and scared by God's protection of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, changes his tune. He does a 180. Look at verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him violating the king's command and yielding up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Now Nebuchadnezzar is praising the true god before all the rulers of Babylon. And notice he says, they were willing to trust their God unto death. They were willing to violate the earth king's command in order to serve their heavenly king. They yielded up their bodies to death in order to glorify the most high God. Living for the Lord in the world among people who hate God takes courage. And when we trust the Lord, he gives us that courage. He gives us the strength we need. Look at verse 29. Nebuchadnezzar comes full circle. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Their house is reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no God who is able to deliver in this way. Now Nebuchadnezzar is defending the true God. At first he says he's the most high God, and now he's defending the true God. And if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rationalized and worship the image, saying, you know what? It's just a golden image. It's not really a God. It's no big deal. We'll just do it to save our skin and blend in with the crowd. All the other Jews are worshiping. It's not a big deal they wouldn't have had the opportunity to be delivered by God in this miraculous way. The king wouldn't have an opportunity to have his heart humbled and the king wouldn't have made a proclamation both blessing God and warning others not to speak against the true God. You don't know how much your act of no compromise can accomplish for God. Sometimes you might, not, you might just say no and somebody's watching and you don't even know they're watching and you don't even know how it's gonna affect their life later on. Finally, look at verse 30, where we see God's faithfulness to the three Jews who determined not to compromise their faith. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. God again saw that they were blessed because they had a courageous faith. And this doesn't mean that if you live a life of courage and resolve in Jesus Christ, that you're going to become rich and that you're going to become prosperous in this world. It may be, but it may be not. You might be ground to bits in a millstone. It does mean that you will be rich and prosperous for all eternity. It does mean that you will be giving glory to God. Listen, this is how it works. You're born, you sin, you sin, you sin, you sin, you sin, you sin, and you keep on sinning. God, by his grace, out of love for you, not because of anything you do, because he's good and kind and gracious and loving, decides to draw you to himself open your heart, expose you to the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected for sinners, you get convicted of your sin, you realize you're on your way to hell, you cry out to God, he then transforms you by grace, then he does this, after he takes all your sin away from you, and forgives you completely for any sins you will do, he gives you Christ's righteousness, he gives you the Holy Spirit, he gives you all sufficient grace, so that you can live for him, he gives you spiritual gifts, so you can use them to bless other people, he gives you natural gifts, so you can do the same he gives you life he gives you breath and after all your life when God gives and gives and gives to you so you can serve him and you serve him when you die you then go to heaven and God because what he has done for you rewards you for all eternity you're just gonna fall so in love with Jesus when you get to heaven you're gonna realize just what a sinner you were and what a great savior he is and how gracious and lopsided the whole deal is There's going to be things and colors and beyond imagination. It's going to be great forever and ever. So the whole point here, you're going to live for the Lord, you're going to resolve to live for Christ or not. If you are, it's going to take courage.
1: You've been listening to a message by Pastor Jack Hughes. He's a pastor from Burbank, California. These are messages that were recorded at our No Compromise Weekend that our Nebraska Christian students recently attended. Well, this wraps up the program today. You've been listening to Truth in Focus. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Tyson. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus.